you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans 1. We're at a critical turning point in Romans. Anytime that you are studying the Word of God, one of the greatest mistakes that you can make is not stopping in what you're directly looking at and backing up and asking the question, why does it matter in the whole of the book? Now, let me tell you why this is important. Pastor Steve's alma mater, Dallas Theological Seminary, has changed a great deal over the years and for the worse. But when he went there, you had the cream of the crop teachers. And that's probably why he is the cream of the crop teacher. It's because he had a lot of wonderful and amazing people that were able to pour into him in such an unbelievable way. There's one guy that's left from that pedigree, and his name is Elliot Johnson. And he is the head of the expository preaching division of the school. And last year, 2019, I had the opportunity to sit and talk with him a little bit at a conference I was at, and he was sharing with some of us that he's been retired for some time now, but he still has to go back to the seminary once a week. And everybody said, why? And he said, because we've got guys that are PhD caliber, amazing, brilliant minds that know the word of God inside and out and can study a passage like nobody's business. But when I ask him this one question, how does that, those five verses there, how does that fit in the overall theme of the book? They freeze and they can't tell you. And so he keeps coming back every week to work with students on one thing. What's the big idea? That's it. Now, thankfully, you don't have to spend dollars of money to go to seminary. Because we can sit here right now and we can just have that in our minds and think about what is the big idea that Paul is getting at. Because when he deals with chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, and you have it, right? Now we're starting in chapter 1. So if you want to pick up your little card and look at it here. Look what he says here in this card. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we all say, yay, right? We love this verse. But if we think that this verse is talking about in relation to damnation to hell, we're in trouble. Because that's not how Paul means it. And he says here, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. We have a greater law in play now than what we were dealing with. And so if you will travel with me, I'm going to take 15 minutes. And I know what you guys are thinking. I'm going to take 15 minutes because I want to walk you through the big idea of Romans real quick so you understand where we're at and why condemnation doesn't mean you're not going to go to hell now. Okay? Everybody with me? Let me give you two words. If you're from hermeneutics class, you understand this already. When we study a text up close, this is called analysis. Okay? We are analyzing what the text has to say. I've got a paragraph here I'm dealing with, and so I'm going to break it down and talk about how it all works together. If you're in Pastor Steve's Wednesday class when we're in when First Thessalonians, raise your hand if you're in there. 
Okay, for those of you that are not, shame, shame, okay? If you got work and stuff, we understand, but you should be there. Uh, he's actually doing a thing where I will go through and I will write out the verse on the board and he will explain how to break down the verse and all the components of how it works together. It's a lot of fun. And I'm really excited because Carol just bought me about 30 markers that are all kinds of different colors. You know what that means? Mark that text up, man. I love it. That's my bread and butter. I love working through a text like that and showing different things. You should see my notes up here for Romans. It's nuts. So good stuff. It's important to analyze a text. But when we back up and we talk about why did the author even bother to write? What's he trying to communicate to the people? We call that synthesis. Okay. We are synthesizing the big idea. So analysis is the tree. Synthesis is the forest. Everybody with me? Is everybody with me? Okay. (laughs) Kevin. Chapter 1, verse 16. You'll know this one. It was a memory verse for a while. We spent some time breaking down what it is. But notice what he says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to who? To everyone who believes. Notice there's a condition. And that doesn't mean who will believe. It means to those people who believe already. If you already believe the gospel, it is power. And that is the point here. We've got to have power. The church is suffering in America because it doesn't have power. We've got good quotes. We've got Reader's Digest type sermons that are going on. We've got weak worship, and it lacks power. It lacks power. We cannot afford to be like that here at this church. We cannot afford it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? For in it, the, what is that? The righteousness of who? Notice it's the power of God and it's the righteousness of God. Does everybody see that? It's God's power and it's God's righteousness. That's the point. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, made known from faith to faith. Regardless if you're believing in Christ or growing in Christ, it doesn't change the fact that it's God's power and God's righteousness all the way through. Does everybody see that? Yes? How many people are confused? We can talk about it. It's okay. I want to make sure everybody's on the same page. So it says here, from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous, notice, those who are already righteous, declared righteous, but the righteous man shall live by faith. What is this book about? It is about how do you live by faith in the righteousness of God with the power of of God and the gospel is what fuels all of that. Does everybody see that? We don't sound sure. You got to shake your head, but there's very few marbles I hear rattling. I'm looking for you to talk to me today. So now skip forward to chapter three. What? That I can hear your marbles rattle? This book is about How the righteous live by faith. That's the means. But it's got to have a source. 
And that source is the righteousness of God, because that's all about your standing in Christ, and the power of God, which is all about your practice in Christ. If you don't have a righteous standing with God, you have no power. So that's why Christ is our righteousness. Everybody see that? So when Christ is our righteousness, and we're going to see this in just a second, we now have a standing that is fully and freely accepted by the Father only because he sees sinful, dirty, disgusting, funky old me through the lenses of Jesus Christ's perfect work. That's what makes the gospel so grand, and that's what makes grace free. It has to be free. There's no merit on our ends. What in the world are we bringing to the table where God's like, you know what? I really want to take a notice of you. Nothing. And I know that's not very positive and that's okay. If the gospel were about me, I could understand why you'd want it to be, but it's not. It's about Christ and what he has done. So now when we get into chapter three, We have the problem of the law in relation to justification. Verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no, what? No flesh. Keep that in mind. The flesh. The no flesh will be justified, declared righteous. In his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And that's all that comes through the law. I just had a seasoned professor who'd been at a college. He's been at a college for years and years and years. And he's training the next generation of Christian ministers and believers and everything. And said, we're saved by grace, but we grow by the law. I'm thinking, have you ever read Romans? No flesh has any grounds with the law as far as growing. And you may not see that this is a problem. Hopefully in this church, it's not a problem, but I promise you outside of these walls, people are still trying to earn acceptance with God. Why? Here's a reason, unbelief. They don't believe what Jesus has done. Grace just makes it too easy. Well, I don't care about that. My question is, is it true? If it's what God said, why not accept it? So all the law does is accuse and condemn. That's it. Now we take that and we move into Happyville. Verse 21. But now apart from the law, everybody see that? Apart from the law. The law has no bearing in this situation. Look what it says. The righteousness of God. Now remember we talked about how that was about our standing in Christ. When you believe in Christ, you're given a holy standing in front of him, a spotless and blameless standing. That doesn't mean that your conduct is perfect by any means. But it means as far as what it looks like for you to stand before the Father, he sees you as righteous, okay? The righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through what? Faith, there's the channel, in Jesus Christ for those who believe. Notice that belief is the contingency here. Why? There's no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same damnable boat. That's the problem. And we need rescue. We are unrighteous and God demands righteousness and we can't supply it and we cannot earn it. So God freely provides it. That's a gracious God. That's a God that is motivated by love for helpless people. 
It says here, being justified, verse 24, as a gift by his grace. Gosh, I love that verse. It's like barbecue on my tongue. But being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation by his blood or in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Everybody was offering bulls and goats to atone for sin, but it could never take away sin. So what does God do? God steps in and he creates a method of rescue that completely removes sin from the picture. Our sins are gone. Everybody know that cast them as far as the east is from the west, drowns them in a sea of forgetfulness. This is exactly what Jesus did. So anytime Satan is bringing up the offenses that we've created, he's digging them up out of the grave and throwing them in your face, you need to grab this verse. Wait a second. He may have passed over those things in the past, but look what it says here. For the demonstration, verse 16, the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, he's pretty clear here. If you believe in Christ, you have a righteous standing. And there is a solid grounds by which to plant yourself to grow. Everybody with me? Okay, now let's move on. Chapter 5, verse 8. Here we see something very interesting, and if you don't pay attention to the language, you would read right over it, and you would miss it. Chapter 5, verse 8. We know this one. In fact, I think we had this as a memory verse at one point. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. Notice that love is the motivator, and he wants to show you how much he loves you. He demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, notice that, dead in trespasses and sins, not having the Holy Spirit, destined for the lake of fire, no hope in the world whatsoever. What happened? Christ died for us. That's a beautiful thing. When we were in alienation and opposition against our holy creator, he still extended grace. And what motivated him to do so? Love. Everybody see that? Good stuff. So now look at verse nine. Much more. Does everybody remember when we were there, we talked about the steps? Much more. Take some steps up, right? Much more on top of that. Here's the yummy, yummy icing on the cake part. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be what? Saved from the wrath of God through him. You know what that tells you, what Paul just showed you? Is that being justified, as far as Paul's concerned in Romans, and being saved are not the same thing. It's not how he uses the word saved and salvation in this book. He talks about being justified by blood, declared righteous. He talks about being saved as a greater rescue in some way. Now let's explain how this goes on. Look what he says. Let's read it again. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, there's the past, we shall be, here's the future, saved by his what? Life. The life of Christ living through us. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. Christians can experience 
the wrath of God. You say, preacher, how's that possible since we know Jesus? If at any time in your life you are suppressing righteousness and you always do it by an unrighteous means, whether that be lying, stealing, covering up, whatever it is, secret sins, sins that aren't going to hurt anybody, it's just my own personal thing. You are suppressing truth. And when you suppress that truth, you invite the wrath of God to come in. Now remember, this book is about how the righteousness of God and the power of God make it possible for us to live by faith. In doing that, not only do we need his righteousness, we need much more to be saved. And here's the beautiful thing. I'll go ahead and ruin the end for you. That answer to that question is Jesus as well. Not only does he establish you in righteousness, but he sets up the means of power to live. To live what? To live a better life? No. Don't ever think that. To live Christ's life through you. That's the difference. It's a big difference. Now this alleviates a lot of pressure. Why? Because it's not about you getting any better. Stop trying to be a better Christian. Just stop it. That's where the frustration comes from. That's where the multiplied compounded sin comes from. That's where the, well, I'm never going to say that to those people. I can't believe you cut me off, right? Nobody does that. Come on. At least in your head, admit it. We all sin. And we desperately need more, 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 more of Christ desperately. Now here's where we reach the interesting point. Chapter 5, verse 16. The gift that comes through Jesus is not like that which came through the one who sinned, which is Adam. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, that's Adam, resulting in condemnation. Now, hold on one second. Let's finish the verse, and I want to talk about this word because we've got to know it if we're going to understand how he means it in Romans 8. So he says, resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. And that word justification there should actually be translated better, righteous acts. So in other words, Adam's sin leads to more sin. Jesus's act of righteousness actually makes it possible for you and me to live a life that God finds pleasing. It doesn't come from us, it comes from him, and Jesus had to secure that possibility for us. It's one thing to be, it's one thing to be on a blameless standing with God. It's another thing to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful in little. I will make you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, why is that so critical? Let me tell you this, and it's important for you to grasp this. Not every believer hears those words. And so this entire book is pointing towards the motivation. What does it look like to be faithful and little, well-pleasing to the master? That's what it's about abstaining from sin, finding our sin so disgusting that we are repulsed 
and in revulsion against it. That's the point that it's leading us to. So with Adam, sin sin is compounded. In Christ, righteous acts are possible. Everybody see the word condemnation. It's going to come back up in verse 18. This word is an extremely unique Greek word. It's katakrima is what it is. And many times you'll look through something, a a lexicon or something like that, some commentaries, and they'll say, well, it just means condemnation. That's what it means. It means that you're condemned because of those situations. It's not what it means. It means that not only has there been a judicial decision made against you, but it's also talking about that you have been sentenced to something as a consequence for your actions. When Adam sinned, it wasn't just, well, y'all going to hell, and that's just it. It wasn't that. It was, you have a destiny to the lake of fire, and now you have been enslaved to those desires to do what is contrary to everything that God has desired for you. It's enslavement to sin. So now when you move forward here, verse 17, for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, that's Adam, Much more, there's our word again, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now think about what he's saying here. Adam is death, death, death. Jesus is, if you've received his grace and his righteousness is applied to you, guess what? In this life, Jesus will actually reign through you in how you live. Can you imagine having a Christ-like response to everything that comes your way? You say, no. I say, well, let's study Romans more. Because he's telling us how that happens. Watch how it moves forward. Verse 18. So then, as through one transgression, there's Adam, there resulted katakrima, enslavement to sin because we are a damned people. That's what it came to. To all men. Even so, through the one act of righteousness, that's Jesus Christ, there resulted justification of life to all men. What is the contingency? You must receive the abundance of grace and the righteousness of God that's in the cross. Everybody with me, yes? I know this is like a big argument here, but this is what Romans is, and we need to get this to understand 8.1. Here's what he says, verse 19. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where law increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What in the world is he saying? He's saying the more aware that we become of our sin, the more repulsed we should be by it. But don't lose heart. Don't get in the dumps. Don't close the the coffin and go ahead and die. The great thing is, is that grace is greater than your sin. And you can still have that grace reign in your life once you get over this issue of how you deal with sin and life's problems. Now we move into what we saw last week, chapter 7. 
And what is sad about this, chapter 7, verse 21, many times this is perceived to be, well, that's just how the Christian life is. It's always this struggle. By no means, let's not downplay the idea of the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, but also let's not approach this situation as if there were no hope and there were no victory that was already secured for you in Christ. The Christian life is not a hopeless endeavor. And when people think that Romans 7 is just the end of it, This is when they give up, fall away from the faith, quit. Why? Because all the expectations that they've created for themselves have led them to be law keepers. And since they can't keep the law, they lose heart and they give up and they say, what's the point? Since October of 1998, when the Lord got a hold of me by the neck and dealt with me, I have been serving him in ministry since that month, in some capacity, in some way, you would be amazed at the brothers and sisters in Christ who have fallen away from Jesus. You would be even more amazed by their reasons why. And I will go ahead and tell you this, 85% of it is sexually related because they just can't control themselves. And they know that God discourages those things says, that's not the life I have for you. Why would you want to live like that? They say, God, I don't care anymore. I want to do what I want to do. Those are the people who will not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the people who have neglected the power of God to live life. And we can't afford to be that. Life is too short. Now is too critical. The gospel is too potent and powerful. And we've got people throwing bricks at each other, having fights with each other, creating all kinds of problems, creating voter fraud instances, all kinds of a mess going throughout our world system. And you know what? That's the world. Let's stop being surprised. But let's also offer them something better. And if we're going to do that, we need to know that. So chapter 7, verse 21. I find then there's a principle, there's a law, that even is present in me. Sorry, that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. I want to do good as a Christian, but the power's not there. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. My inner man so resounds with God's law. It's so right on. It's so great. You might've thought you would have never said that about the 10 commandments or 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Guess what? Your inner man rejoices in it because it's the truth of God. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. Yes. But the frustration and the friction is, but I can't do it. That's the friction. So he says here, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. Why? Because the law of your mind is the inner man. Your mind wants to do good things. Your flesh is shutting it down every time. Nope, 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 nope. It's like smacking mosquitoes outside. Right? So notice, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Now, this is the point, 24, and I can't harp on it enough. Wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? I love the fact that he understands a solution is a person, not a program. When you've come to the end of yourself and you're burnt out from serving God, because let's be honest, you've been doing it in your own power. You've been doing it with your own will. 
You've just been sucking it up and having a smile and hoping for better things as it goes. That's called dishonesty. That's something where we need to confess it and bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, this is terrible. I hate the way these people are reacting. I hate the way that this situation is. I hate that my flesh is doing these things. And coming to a point of saying, where is the hope? It is not here. It is not here. Let me give you another prescription for this, how Jesus said it. If you're not willing to forsake father or mother, brother, sister, wife, kids, and even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. What did Jesus think about our life? Tell you what he thought, it's not worth living. That's why it has to die. That's why we have to die to get out of the way. So he says here, coming to this conclusion, finally coming to the head that opens the door for the power to work. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God because that's the inner man and I agree with God and God's telling me the truth and I love God's law inside. But on the other, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. I still do wrong, awful, terrible things. Why? Because I find a, a, a startling and humbling conclusion that nobody ever really wants to come to the grounds of. I have no power to please Jesus. None. I cannot please him. Ever. There is a scientific principle in the second law of thermodynamics. Where in the world is he going with this? Called entropy. Everybody know what entropy is? A closed system left to itself will break down over time. Okay? So you decide you're going to go away for a year. You shut down your house. And what you're going to find is that corrosion sets in. Dust is going to be all over the place. I mean, you're going to have some cleanup stuff to do when you get back there. Why? Because your house has been closed down. Nothing's been going on and everything breaks down over time. Everybody remember the power strip and we took the plug from the power strip and we plugged it right into itself. That made a whole heck of a lot of sense, didn't it? In Kentucky, that's called networking. But that is often how the Christian life is lived. I just need to dig deep and find that power. Guess what? This is a closed system. And what is it going to do over time? Break down. In fact, I'm amazed at how much Paul keeps saying after chapter 3 when we're justified, death, death, death. death." Paul, you're not a very happy Hallmark kind of person, are you? Paul's like, I got all kinds of happiness to share with you. It just ain't about you. But he shares with us the truth. So in order for the life to be effective, and if this closed system doesn't have anything going on, it's just going to fall apart as time goes on. I got to have power from outside to get involved to make a difference. Everybody understand this? Not getting good answers here. Okay. You're lulled because of my soothing voice. I understand. Chapter 8, verse 1. And real quick, when he says the word, therefore, everybody see that? He is taking you all the way back to chapter 5, verse 16. He made big statements there where he said, 
The whole situation with Adam, compounding sin, it's not good. But the fact is, is if we're going to live pleasing to God, then grace has got to reign in our life. And it reigns through Jesus Christ and righteousness is revealed in our lives. And it's all a beautiful thing, but it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. And it culminates in this one point because he uses these words again. Therefore, there is now no market condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You should have got a paper in your handout of Romans 8. I encourage you, mark up the text. There is no condemnation. Now we often use this and we say, because I'm in Christ, I'm not going to the lake of fire. This is great. That's true. But that's not what Paul means here. He would have been dealing with you not going to the lake of fire issues back in chapter three, not chapter eight. He's talked a lot about Christian growth and how not to grow and obey as a Christian. And now he is finally unleashing the idea of what it is to have power. And the first thing we need to understand is, therefore, there is now no enslavement to sin for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what he's telling you? You don't have to be a Romans 7 Christian. You don't have to even entertain that option. You don't ever have to draw off your own power to live your life. If you've got bad habits in your life and they're going to get better, guess what? It's not by you doing better and trying harder. Get rid of that thinking. Because, here's a reason why, it is not a Christ-reliant thinking. It is a closed system thinking, and it's going to decay and break down every time. Everybody with me? So when he tells you here, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, The flesh enslavement to sin is aroused by the law, but our flesh always wants to try to be victorious. We think we can uphold that. This was the problem in Galatians. Yeah, we've been saved by faith, but we need to get circumcised now. That'll cause us to grow. Anybody on that bandwagon today? No? What's the matter? You guys aren't holy enough? You're not committed enough? You're not righteous enough. I love what Paul says. Those of the one to circumcise, why don't they just go ahead and cut it all off? You realize the Holy Spirit inspired that? Some of you got eyebrows. What's he talking about? <laughs> you got some reading to do over the week, don't you? If somehow we think a means of gaining godliness is by what we do in the flesh or to the flesh, we've missed the boat because our substitute, Christ, has been substituted by us. So what Paul wants us to understand, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, there's no condemnation. There's no enslavement to sin if you're in Christ. Where's the location? In Christ Jesus. You don't have to be enslaved. It says here, verse 2, for, here's your explanation, you ready? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, why in the world, I didn't hear an amen about that. I don't know, but it needs it. Because here's what it's telling you. Everybody remember my my cute little graphic I put together? Everybody remember this with the boxes? In the middle, you got the law of sin. And it's, it's a dominant law. It's reigning in this situation. You got the law of God above it. This is the ideal for righteous living in all truth. 
Underneath it, I got the law of my mind. And the law of my mind is trying to figure out a way to get around the law of sin so that I can delight in the law of God. And my mind's going, gosh, the law of God's so awesome and I really love it. Yes. And the law of sin is going, no, 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 no. Whack-a-mole. Every time. So everything that I desire to live righteously for God is completely deflected by the law of sin. And here's the bad thing. It's in my members. I can't get rid of it. No matter how much you scour and scrub, you can't rid yourself in it. And this is what leads to the wretched man conclusion. So I got to get an outside power involved. Imagine I've got a balloon and I let it go. Which way does it go? Why? Because helium is stronger than what? Gravity. I need a greater law. I need a greater truth to overcome this law of sin so that I can rise above it and live victoriously over it. You see how that works? So what is that? What is God's solution? Here's what it is. The law, the rule, the principle of the spirit of God. And notice it's the spirit of what? Only Paula knows it. Life. Life. Do you realize how important it is, the whole concept of life in relation to God in the scriptures? John chapter one. In him was life. And that life is the light of men. We're talking about something that exists amongst the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They exercise love with one another. They have complete harmonious unity with one another, but they also have something that this world knew nothing of because it rejected it, and that is life. What life truly is. Well, notice, you may not understand this, but you have this. It's in you, and it is the greatest untapped resource in the church today. The spirit of life. Where's the location? In who? In Christ. In Christ Jesus. And what has it done? It has set you free. So if you think back to chapter 7, it talked about that we died to the law, that we were set free from that old husband so that we could be joined to another, and that's Christ Jesus. Well, guess what else is going on here? The law of the spirit of life, or let's just say it this way, the Holy Spirit, you King Jimmy users, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost has come into you to dwell and reside and has set you free from the law of sin. Now notice it doesn't say might set you free, could set you free. Well, consider setting you free. It's letting you know that it's a done deal. You know what that tells me? In my life, sin is unnecessary. I don't need it to get by. I don't need it as an answer to my problems. I don't need it as a solution to get things done. And see, this is the friction. When we talk about what it is for the body to live for Christ and Christ to live through his body, churches are too apt to forsake discernment and waiting on the spirit of God in situations. And instead, I'm going to law keep and I'm going to lord it over other people if they're not performing like I do. And you end up having a lot of people that are pressed down. Grace cannot be found. And we're all kind of wandering around in our own wilderness experience because the spirit is not being revered for the power that he's trying to supply the people. Everybody doing it in their own power. Makes me think of judges. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes because there wasn't a king there. 
Our failure to acknowledge God himself indwelling us in the spirit leads us to be wondering Christians. You say, well, how in the world do you, do you activate this in your life? Number one, it's already activated. There's no secret switch you've got on you somewhere. I'm not looking for something to flip so that it comes on. It's on. You say, well, how does it become a power in my life? Let me, let me tell you. Wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? It's the admission that I have no gas to go. And it's the understanding that all power that I would possibly need comes from Jesus. And so I submit myself to him. I recognize that the flesh is only good for crucifying. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him. Everybody remember this? Dealing with our flesh according to truth. And that's getting it out of the way. And when we step out of the way, Holy Spirit's got all kinds of room to work. One thing to remember. Steve Leverich and I were talking about this not too long ago. Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He doesn't barge in. He never kicks open the swinging saloon doors to your life and says, I'm here, pony up. He doesn't do that. God is patient, loving, gracious, and he waits to bring his people to the end of themselves so that they will say, I finally learned. That's not an answer. I'm not an answer. I don't have the answer. I can't do it. That's the point he wants to bring us to. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everybody see that that's reliance? It's not self-indulgence. There's no thread of pride or arrogance or deservedness, entitlement in that whatsoever. It is laying all rights down and saying, it's got to be the spirit of me or it's nothing. That's it. That's the rule, the principle, the law of the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus. And what does he do? He sets you free from the law of sin and death. Now remember, that thing is in your members, yes? You know what I love? The Holy Spirit resides in your spirit. You may have the law of sin and death in your members. Holy Spirit resides in your spirit. He is clean house and he has made you righteous in your spirit. So you have got a greater law at work. So now, moving forward, verse 3, 4, here's another explanation. What the law could not do, everybody throw on the brakes. 80 miles an hour, throw on the emergency brake. Anybody ever done that? Me either. Everybody notice that the word law is capitalized here. Go back and look at 2. For the law, lowercase, everybody see that? Set you free from the law, lowercase, everybody see that? Okay. Look what it says here. For what the law capitalized could not do. Now pause for a second. You as an interpreter have a, have a decision to make. You've got to ask yourself, well, what kind of law is he talking about? Well, why is that important? Well, here's the reason why. There are two laws that we didn't touch in Romans chapter three. There are three laws at the end of seven that we did touch and talk about how they work together. And we've just had a brand new law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is introduced as the triumphant law, the triumphant rule here. There's six laws in Romans. You guys realize that? So now we got to make an interpretive question. Let's read it. Or an interpretive guess. For what the law could not do. Now watch this. Weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Now stop. Is the law of Moses weak? No. It's perfect truth, isn't it? So it's not that. And then we call that the law of God, the law of Moses. Is the law... Of my mind, the problem here. Possibly. Why? 
Well, because it agrees with God's law, but it just can't get it done. It can't work its way out in the flesh. How about the law of sin and death? What the law of sin and death could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. Isn't the problem is the law of sin and death is in my members? Isn't that the problem? You got to make an interpretive decision here. So notice the law of sin and death, it's weak. Why? Because it's through the flesh. So it's never going to work. But what happened? I love it. God did. I don't know about you, but that's quadruple underlying stuff right there. The outside power had to get involved into the closed system. He had to get in there and get the job accomplished because I could never be pleasing to God through my flesh. God becomes pleasing for me. He does it. There's no room for boasting. There's no room for self-esteem. Anytime that we would assert ourselves forward in that way, we have actually diminished his glory. We've taken away from it. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not ground that I wish to tread on. So notice God did it. How did he do it? There's the father sending his own what? Son. There's the son. Everybody see this? He sent Christ. Notice what it says. In the likeness of sinful flesh. He had flesh just like you and I have flesh. The problem is he didn't have a sin nature. Why? Because he's virgin born. And the seed of sin is passed from the father through generations. See, this is why the conception of the Holy Spirit is such a big deal human mother, so he could be born in flesh like us. But guys, that seed of sin is passed from us into the child. Don't think so highly of ourselves, do we? It doesn't take too long to have kids go, yep, they're sinners. Guess what? It came from you. Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back. So it says here, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for, now notice it doesn't say sins. Sin, singular, the sin principle that resides in us that makes us want to do naughty things. That's what it is. And notice, who is Jesus, the Son? He's the righteousness of God, apart from the law. Everybody remember we saw that? Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. He says here, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now pause for a second, because here's what it doesn't say. He forgave sin in the flesh. That's not what it says. The multiple offenses that we commit against God, those were forgiven by the blood. Guess what? That very rooted in nature that wants to rebel against him all the time, there's no forgiving of that. None. It's not fit for forgiveness. It's fit for damnation. It's fit for condemnation. And so instead of making every single person pay, not for their sins, but for their sin that they can't do anything about that rests in the flesh of their members. This is why Christ came. He forgives sins, but because his flesh was crucified and it died and he was actually buried. There's something significant about that that goes with dealing with the sin principle, the sin nature in our lives that he is having to effectively deal with. So notice, it doesn't say that it was forgiven. It says it was condemned. That means to be sentenced after a determination of guilt. In other words, he breaks the sin nature's hold on you and me. Well, I just couldn't help myself. I had to sin. You are not 16 years old. Stop acting like that. Well, I just had all these impulses and urges and my juices were flowing or whatever the crap you hear today. That's so silly. Am I allowed to say crap? 
No? Okay. We have some of the silliest excuses why we do wrong. And we walk around justified like we think it's great. Christ died for that. Christ died for that so that you could have greater power over those things. Verse 4. Here's the reason. So that the requirement of the law, we got to ask ourselves what law is that, so let's read So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Couple things I want you to see. Number one, Christians can walk according to the flesh or according to the spirit. Does everybody see it's a choice at the end of that verse? It's contingency. Which way are you going to go in this situation? This is a condition that determines whether or not this power is effective in your life. And if you are going to walk according to the flesh, and you know that it's going to end in death, which we find out later, we're going to look at next week, but it's going to lead unto bad things, this isn't going to be a principle that works for you. But if you're going to get out of the way and seek to be pleasing because of the Spirit of God, knowing that nothing is expected or asked of you, you're just waiting on the Lord in this situation, it's going to work. Now here's a question, what's going to work? Verse 4, so that the requirement, everybody see that word requirement? This means righteous acts or righteous results. It's the idea of a concrete expression of something that God is satisfied with. It lines up with this character completely. It is something that he looks at and says, oh, that makes me smile. Yes, that's pleasing in my sight. It's that type of thing. Okay, I don't know about you. I want to be there. Okay? So that the requirement of the law, the law of God, the perfect law, the law of Moses. Now look what he's saying. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Notice it doesn't say fulfilled by us. Everybody see that? Because it's not you doing the work. It's whatever power resides in you doing the work. What in the world is he saying here? This word fulfilled means to bring to a designed end. It means the end of something. Here's what he's saying. Because you have the power of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus residing in you, and you've come to your wretched man experience, recognizing that your flesh is never going to cut it, and you lay it down and you get it out of the way. And you say, God, I just want whatever you want. I just want you to do whatever you want to do through me. I am submissive to your will and your way. Now, the power of God is going to get in there through the Spirit. And as you begin following the leading of the Spirit and walking in His ways, next thing you know, you're a keeper of the law. Not because you need to be a keeper of the law to be accepted by God. It's because the Spirit of God through you is going to do nothing but correspond to the truth in how you live. And guess what's true? The law of God. It's not being fulfilled by you. It's being fulfilled in you. You can sum it up in one way. I'm loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'm loving my neighbor as myself. That's what Jesus said the summation of the law is. You want to boil it down, there it is. Well, guess what? You cannot love God in that way, and you cannot love your neighbor as yourself if the Spirit of God is not active in you. And if the Spirit of God is not active in you, it's because we have not come to the point where we recognize, I need to get out of the way. This is always the same answer to the question, well, how do you love people that are unlivable? You can't do it. Why? Secret. Because people are unlovable. Sometimes people are hard to love. Sometimes people make it hard to love them. 
Sometimes people don't want to be loved. Here's the amazing thing about that. If people don't want to be loved or they make it hard to be loved, that doesn't change the mandate from Jesus to say, as I've loved you, you love one another. You can't help what they do. It's not your goal to keep up their end of righteousness. It's your goal to recognize, yeah, I can't love that person. They are an unlovable person. That's when the Spirit of God starts loving through you. Now, I don't know about you, but if the church is not Spirit-led, it's not the church. It's a gathering of people. We may have the common redemption in Christ, and that's well and good and awesome. But there is everything to be said in the Scriptures about the importance of what it is for the church to be bearing fruit, devoting themselves to good works, and not doing it in the flesh. Now I'm going to make this statement. It's going to sound harsh. I don't mean it this way, but I want to be honest with you because I want you to think about where you are. There are some of you that are casual attenders here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here with us. I hope you're loved here. I hope you feel loved. I hope you understand that we're serious about the Word of God and nothing else. But if you are taking a casual approach to the Word of God, I can guarantee you that you're living an unsatisfied life. And it's because you're struggling in the flesh. If you're someone who has a very committed relationship with God, but you don't understand why it's not all working out, I'll tell you why. Because you want it so bad, you won't get out of the way. And so your type A personality won't let you sit down. Let me encourage you, sit down. Lay it down. Stop looking to yourself as an option. And understand, I don't tell you this as somebody who's got it all together. Recognizing myself as wretched and being thankful to God for Jesus Christ, giving me the indwelling spirit of life in Him, it is a moment-by-moment need in my life. Every situation that comes my way, I have the option of whether or not I'm going to operate in the flesh and provide my own answers, or I'm going to look for God to provide the answers that He's already given me in His Son. We're not perfect. But notice that Paul is pointing us in a perfect way. You already have the righteousness of God. You already have the source for the power. If you want to know what it is to live that power, get out of his way and watch. You will actually see God's law fulfilled in you. Why? Because Christ is living in you. Let's pray. Father, there's much that can be said for all the good intentions that we have bringing to the table. I thank you, God, that your answer to those things is your spirit. Lord, all these words could be easily lost as Monday starts. And we go back to living life. Father, I pray that your spirit would beckon us to be in your word and to come back to this truth. Enslavement to sin is not even a thing for us anymore. Why we would settle for that route is completely contrary to the truth that you've given us in the person of Jesus. The spirit of life indwells every believer and is ready to lead us in greater paths of obedience. What we need to address is our perspective of self because that's what stands in the way. Thank you that the Spirit lifts us 
above that law of sin that dwells in our members and brings us to disappointment and heartache every time. But we also thank you that the hope of Jesus Christ is available and ready and fresh every moment. Father, lead us to do your will as a body. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.